back them dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the bellboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here tonight. Hello everyone and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. I'm Zachary Scott Johnson. As promised in our last episode, today's episode is a tribute to the great Diane Keaton, one of Meryl Streep's contemporary and one of the greatest living actresses we have. As we did a couple of months ago with Carrie Fisher, we decided to do an entire tribute to Diane Keaton and go over her entire filmography. Meryl Streep recently honored Diane Keaton at this year's AFI Lifetime Achievement Awards, and so we thought this was a great time to look at Diane's career. For this episode, we were also lucky enough to do an interview with the legendary Leslie Ann Warren, who co-starred in a movie with Diane Keaton in the 70s. However, that conversation was so interesting and was long enough really to warrant its own episode, and so we decided to do exactly that. We're going to give it its own episode, and Meryl and I are going to discuss a few more things before and after the interview. So if there are things in this episode or next episode that don't line up, it's because we didn't know we were going to make that interview its own episode. So you might hear a couple references to Leslie I'm Warren in today's episode, and for the interview, you will talk about Diane Keaton a little bit. As always, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. We really appreciate those reviews. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at MerylStreetPodcast at gmail.com, all one word, MerylStreetPodcast at gmail.com. We're ready to start the show. And you can just tell him that I Checking out of his heartbreak hotel. You can give that sad hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Meryl Streep in the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. I'm Zachary Scott Johnson, and how are you this afternoon, Miss Meryl McNally? I'm excellent. How are you? I'm good. What have you been up to lately? Your show opened. How has everything been going? Yes. Oh, my goodness. It's it's going very, very well. Um, those kids are amazing. The cast was amazing. They had a they had a great opening weekend. We've got one more weekend to go this weekend, and, and then uh, it's on to the next one. What is the next one? Uh, the next one is Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. Um, it's, he adapted it. Um, from his own book, and uh, that'll be in November. So wow, very cool. And that's uh, yeah, cre- creepy carnival, creepy carnival. It'll be fun. It'll be a great fall fall show. We're looking forward to it. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that one. So excited. yeah, what do you what do you what have you been up to? Same old. Um, so uh, we're we're getting ready. We're shooting an episode of House Hunters in a couple of week a couple of weeks. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, for HGTV. So, uh, getting ready. You know, it's end of summer touring, and, and um, you know, I'm traveling this weekend, and then I think I, I think next weekend is all local, and then we shoot the show, and then it starts the fall touring. <laughs> I was going to say the end of summer touring is, is so different from the fall, but it's really not. It's just, it's there's something about this time of year, like end of August is 
every year like really slammed for me. I, I, I'm sure yeah. for you too. There's something about it. I'm sure it's that way for everybody. It's the like going back to school. It's like you can't catch your breath. There's just so much going on yeah. at the end of August. So I'm a little bit in the midst of it right now, but that's the way it goes. Yeah, I feel yeah. Oh, well. Um, I wanted to tell you before we got started um, in, and move on into our next segment, um, uh-huh. because I, I made a thing on the podcast about I went to New York to see Glenn Close in, in Sunset Boulevard. And have you, seen the, have you seen the Sunset Boulevard news? No. They're making a movie out of it. Shut up! They are. I did. I thought maybe for a second you were talking about Patty Lapone and Glenn Close ending their ending their feud. Oh, <laughs> I was like, that's not that's not that. Yeah. Wait, apparently no. Apparently, they ended their feud. Let, can I hear more about this? I don't know about this. Oh, so so I guess Patty Lapone was doing Sunset Boulevard in London. I'm going to get some facts wrong here. I know it. Anyway, when they moved it over to Broadway, she got passed over for Glenn Close, and uh, apparently they weren't on speaking terms for several years because of this. And then they were spotted out in New York together. I'm sure I've got something wrong here, but this is what I recall reading. They were spotted out in New York together, and they've admitted that they ended their feud. (laughs) Interesting. Um, Yes. Okay. Well, I did notice that um, I I, me- I mentioned to you at some point that I have never watched the Tony Awards, but through some circumstance, I happened to see a clip somewhere of Glenn Close presenting this year's Best Actress, which I think Bette Midler won. Um, but yes. Patti Lapone was one of the nominees, and I knew that they had had some hard feelings. I, I actually i I listened to Patti Lapone's audiobook, which is strange because I actually i I met Patti Lapone one time, and she was actually not very nice to me at all. So I actually have some not some not. I'll ever remember that. Yeah, I have some not great feelings about her. I'm sure it was just a bad day or whatever, but uh, my experience was not great. And I actually know a lot of other people who've had that same <laughs> experience. And I don't mean to yeah. I don't mean to diminish her reputation. It's just that's what happened to me and a few other people I know. And it is what it is. She's she's a talented artist and 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 everything else. But um, so I uh, so anyway, I, I listened to her book mostly out of curiosity, uh, and she did talk about the fact that Sunset Boulevard is is a really sore spot for her. You're right. She was playing it in London, and in fact, she premiered the role. She played it before anybody else did. Right. And it was part of her deal that she was going to bring it to America, and they did it in London, I don't know, six, eight months before there were plans to bring it to the U.S., and she got horrible reviews. She got really trashed in the reviews. And so from her perspective, now she's pretty open about the fact that she, through a lot of her career, has not gotten great reviews for for much that she's done. But her audience has not really cared about that. You know what I mean? Like her audience loves her anyway. It's not, it hasn't affected much in terms of her career. She's just somebody who doesn't get great reviews. And um, although she's gotten some, it's I'm I'm not suggesting that she's never gotten a good review, but um, right. So from her perspective, Andrew Lloyd Webber panicked and kind of pulled the the rug out from underneath her. And it was interesting because in the in the book, she also referenced Meryl Streep because they did a 
some sort of charity, not a charity performance, but I think they did some sort of thing for producers when they were trying to get funding for the Broadway run. And so they did like a, a rehearsed reading or something. And so a lot of producers were there and Meryl Streep was there and a couple other people were there. And there started to be rumors that Meryl Streep was going to play this role and that it ended up being Glenn Close. And what bothered Patti Lupone is... Um, that she was, in fact, replaced by Glenn Close. And there was a lot of kind of back and forth in the press about this. And it bothered her that Glenn Close never called her, you know, to like, to to figure out, you know, a way to kind of smoothly, to basically bury the hatchet. So I guess it took him a while to do it. But she put most of the blame on uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber for sure, but she referenced yeah. she referenced not loving the fact that Glenn Close had done that. There was all sorts of stuff that was brought out, you know, during that chapter of the book, and that was a pretty traumatic experience for for Patty Lapone. But yeah, yeah, um, but. Yeah, anyway, well, okay, well, I guess that's good that they buried the hatchet. I guess uh, my question is, were they friends beforehand? I don't know, you know. Did... Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know, and I, I guess, I guess it's really Patty Lapone with the hatchet. Right. <laughs> well, well, understandably so, I suppose, but yeah, maybe not towards Glenn Close. Right. I mean, I get, I get the sense of betrayal from Andrew Lloyd Webber. I can't imagine. Can you imagine having something happen to you like that on that scale? And no. to have it be so public. Right. It'd be mortifying. Right. It'd be awful. I yeah. I can, I can understand. Um, I can understand a lot of it. I understand. I, I don't know. It's, it seems like one of those situations where in her book, there are a lot of contradictions. And what's interesting to me is she references earlier in her book opportunities that she had. In fact, one of one of them was with David Mamet, where she basically, David Mamet had offered her this, a role in one of his early plays. And I think she had either, she had accepted it and then a, a better offer came along. And so I, I think it, maybe it was David Mamet. It might've been somebody else, but I think it was Mamet. And uh, so she basically just like had her agent or somebody pull out of it for her and she never had the conversation. And she referenced the fact that she hates She's, she felt like she was a coward and she was just afraid of the confrontation. And I remember thinking later in the book, well, maybe that's exactly what Glenn Close's perspective was. You know what I mean? Like she made excuses yeah. for it when she when she had done it and yet just raved about, you know, how she was being unjustly treated, you know, later on in, in the book. And it, there, right. were, there were a lot of instances of that in her book where she kind of excused certain behaviors of her own and took other people to task for what I viewed was basically the same thing. Um, so I don't know. Hmm. I guess we're blowing our chances to get Patty Lapone on this podcast. But. I know, right? Well, um, probably hard pressed. Yeah, I, she, I, I'm interested to read her book, though. Yeah, it's interesting. If you, if I, you know, like I say, I'm not um, a huge fan after what, after my experience with her, but I can respect her artistry. Um, and uh, so it's interesting, even for people who are not massive fans, like there's, you know, I don't know a whole ton of her work and it was still interesting to me. So, um, right. anyway, well, 
This isn't oh. the Patty Lapone podcast. It's the Meryl Street podcast. So <laughs> they're making Sunset Boulevard into a film. They're making Sunset Boulevard into a movie and like the Broadway the Broadway musical version of it, the Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah. Which is if you remember, I said to you, I said, I think the whole reason they're doing this revival is to see if people are still interested. Yes. Um, this is one of the few things that I kind of, and I know I'm not the only one. I know there were other people who were thinking the same thing. Um, but yeah. it's one of the few times that I kind of saw it coming and I, I figured that was going to happen. And I also feel like it's a let's get Glenn Close her Oscar movie. And as you know, I'm 100% in support of that because I think it's the most amazing <laughs> performance. <laughs> so I oh hope. Oh my gosh, right? I hope the movie gets made. You know, things can happen. Um, I hope it gets made. I hope they move forward with it. It was announced on, you know, a lot of a lot of websites. So it feels like it's pretty. It was that, you know, Glenn Close is in final talks, you know, kind of discussion. So, um, awesome. so they hadn't announced any other casting. They did say something about, oh, you know, who was pegged to direct it, who is in negotiations to direct it, who I thought might be kind of interesting is uh, Ryan Murphy. Oh, oh, that would make me very happy, I think. Yeah. So, you know, from American Horror Story and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So that might be an interesting pairing. And, hey, might be a great way. I don't know how much stuff he's done um, in terms of movies. He's really dominated television over the last decade or so. Right. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm sure he has some some movie credentials i'm sure um i don't know what they are off the top of my head but this would be an interesting way to get him in a really high profile movie you know right off the bat so i think this could could be a winner so he also i'm you know the it's not official that he signed on but um oh and the other thing speaking of broadway stuff so you know, I made the trip to New York to see Glenn Close, and they announced another show that for, for this coming spring that might bring me back there for a second time because um, Why? Denzel Washington is doing The Iceman Cometh. <gasps> no. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. I, seriously, that just gives me the, the chills. That's, oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. So I might wow. be going back because that's another one that's just too good to miss. I know that show's not everybody's Super cup of tea, but that show is my cup of tea. You give me some Eugene O'Neill, you give me some Edward Albee, and I'm happy, you know? Um, and you have you have Denzel Washington starring in it. Things are good. I don't want to not be there. So um, it's, sometime, right? it's sometime in the spring. It's a pretty limited thing. It's being held to like 14 weeks or something. Um, so. Right. Yeah. All right. Oh, I might have to make plans to go see that myself. Let's 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 make sure we coordinate them. Let's let's do it at the same time, and then we can do an episode while we're there. Yes, that would be so exciting. Yes. Um, so, okay, I've been talking for for too long here. I dominated this section, but there is a tiny, tiny bit more of news. This is not theater news, although it actually is in a tangential way, which is that they started principal photography on Mamma Mia two. So. Already, they Already. are they are on like a fast track, aren't they? Well, yes, but it also it's supposed to come out next summer. Well, yeah, no, I guess it is. I don't know what I don't know how much time you need in post production for musicals. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't either. If it's not an action flick, I guess you don't need a century for post production. Right. Um. Yeah, and I'm sure they were 
I, I'm sure they waited to announce until they had everybody's schedule lined up. Right. You know, so, the, th- um, the thing that struck me when I was when I saw the article that they had started shooting was it says that they'll be using, and I don't know, this might have just been like funny, uh, a funny way to bring about it, but let me s- see if this strikes you as a little bit odd. I won't, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not looking at it right now. But they said this movie okay. is going to use songs from the original plus other ABBA songs, which strikes me as a little bit funny um, that they would use what? the same songs <laughs> from the original. Does that strike you as a little bit that odd? It's a little weird. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if it's to, like, account for songs like Mamma Mia. Yeah, probably. Like the actual song Mamma Mia, because I'm sure they'll use it. Right. Again. Um, but, yeah, that'll be interesting. I guess, I mean, obviously, Abba had a lot of hits. Right. Um, but a lot of them are used in the first musical. Right. So, and it'll be, it'll just be interesting to see what they use and, and how. I personally, I personally wouldn't mind a little Fernando in there. It's one of my favorites. Is it? I'm not a <laughs> yeah, huge... I love it. I'm not a huge ABBA fan. I think I have one of their, like, you know, greatest hit CDs or something, but I don't... I don't find myself listening to it all that much, and uh, so I couldn't tell you any specific songs, but I, I hope this isn't just, like, redoing the first movie. That's kind of my fear about this, is that it's just, like, the same thing. Although they did they did do the thing where, as we talked about, I think, in our last episode, they announced that Lily James is playing the younger version of Meryl, so it sounds like there's kind of, like, these two separate timelines where they're showing the younger versions and the older versions of the same characters. Um so it's going to be interesting. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, so that's a good I segue. I really like her. Do you? Lily James? Yes. Yeah. I love her. I adore her. I think she's a fantastic actress and very underrated. She's, she's gonna, she's gonna hit it big one of these days. I mean, she's already fairly A-list, but you know, in terms of like, you know, blockbuster clout, I don't think she's there yet. Sure. She easily could be. You know, I noticed on IMDb, I was looking at IMDb, and I don't know why it caught my caught my attention, but you know they have the star meter where they, like, put the people who've, who've gotten, I guess, the most clicks over the last, I don't know, week or however long it is. And yeah. um, it, I think it was because there was somebody in there who was a surprise. Oh, you know who it was? It was Natasha Henstrich, who... Um, I found, really? Yeah, I found myself going, wait a second, what's going on with Natasha Henstridge that she's in the top, you know, like the top, I don't know, 20 yeah. on IMDb? And I never did figure it out. And I don't mean to imply that she's not exciting or whatever, but um, she's just not somebody who I would think would maybe necessarily be in IMDb's top 20 on a given day. And so I kind of looked through the rest of it, and I'm I'm fairly certain Lily James was in the top, you know, 20 or 30. So she's, she's getting a oh, lot yeah. of attention for sure yeah yeah she's good she's very talented but i guess i need to see I'm more of to her see what work. she does yeah well that's a good segue into uh have you been watching anything this this past week or two since our last conversation um not a lot because i've been so busy i did watch um i did watch harry and walter go to new york with diane keaton and leslie ann warren mm-hmm. and um, I ventured into, um, you know, 
Andy Hall for our episode, but anything extraneous, saw uh, um, the lost, oh, what is it, the lost city of Z, or, oh, yeah. I'm getting the name wrong. No, I know which movie you're talking about. <laughs> you know what about. I'm talking about? Yep. Yeah. Um, with Charlie Hunnam. Yep. And uh, that was interesting. How was it? Yeah. You know, it was very beautifully done. It, it hits a bit of a one note for some reason, and I'm not, I'm still not sure why. I kind of watched it peripherally, like I was doing other things while I was watching and stopped and started it, and that may have affected my viewing and the emotional impact it had. I think it was supposed to have more of an impact than it actually did. Okay. But it is a fascinating story about, you know, the British explorer, um, uh, Fawcett, and... You know, it's pretty, it's, from what I can tell, it's very faithful to, to his experiences and his life. So, it was interesting. Okay. I would definitely recommend it as a renter for people. Okay. I'd, I'd seen it yeah. a few times, but I don't know, it didn't, uh, it didn't grab my attention. But maybe I'll, I'll check it out at some point. So, you're basically, I mean, that's kind of where I was, is that if you, it's very, it's very beautifully done. Like, you can tell a lot of time and effort went into, um you know, costuming and locations and set design and, um, but yeah, it is just kind of a, it is a little bit of a one note and that doesn't grab you like it probably should or is, or is meant to. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, yeah, how about you? Um, you know, I've been watching a lot of Diane Keaton movies, a lot of Diane Keaton <laughs> yeah. movies. I tracked so down. You're making up. You're making up for the fact that I haven't been able to watch as many. Well, I've. I don't know. There was this. Um, there was a sale on some of her lesser known titles, and I went a little crazy with buying a bunch of these like early roles that I had either forgotten about or sometimes never knew. You know, she really did a lot of like made for TV movies and all sorts of stuff. I mean, her her filmography is really uh, varied. You know, she's done a lot of stuff. Varied. And has not been one who is just holding out for the most high-profile project. She's she's interested in doing the work. It seems like, and something that interests her, she's going to do it, whether it's a you know, big budget, you know, movie or a small TV movie of the week. So anyway, I I have watched a whole bunch of that, which we'll get into. Um, the only other thing that I watched the other night. Um, is a movie called Three Generations, which uh, has Naomi Watts, uh, Susan Sarandon, and Elle Fanning. Um, and it stars oh, yeah. Elle Fanning um, as uh, as Ray, a, a girl who's transitioning into um, a boy. And um, it was interesting. Uh, you know, those three women and uh, a lot of the supporting characters were had great performances. It's always good to see Naomi Watts in anything um, Susan Sarandon, yep. Susan Sarandon too, of course, um, she's kind of the comic relief in this one and isn't actually, she's not, she's not in a ton of the movie. Um, but Naomi Watts is in a lot of it and Elle Fanning just seems to keep getting better and better too. I really, you know, she's another one that like most people know who she is. So I wouldn't say she's necessarily underrated, but I, I don't know. I think she might be somebody right somebody who's going to be talked about for a long time. I could see her going the Jodie Foster route and like making a successful transition from childhood actor to like 
adult, you know, full-blown movie star. Yep. Um, and she's making interesting choices. So um, not the greatest thing I've ever seen, but it was certainly good. I think I feel the same way about it that you did. I, I would recommend it as a renter to people. I think it's worth checking out. It's an interesting story. It's an interesting perspective. Um, so, yeah, that's the only other thing that I yeah. particularly... Yeah, I've been curious about it. It's, it's in my queue. I have a lot of movies in my queue. <laughs> Yeah, I never seem to be able to catch up. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just gonna keep being the case. I think as more and more like really high quality stuff gets made, you know. Um, yeah. So okay, so then let's talk about Diane Keaton. We're here to do. I guess we didn't even really announce at the beginning of the episode, but uh, oh, I know we're doing a Diane Keaton tribute episode. Uh, for episode number seven, we did a Carrie Fisher tribute episode, and uh, this is episode 14, so we're doing a Diane Keaton tribute episode. Um, I guess for episode 21, we'll do somebody else. We're going to keep it mathematically in line, I guess. Um, uh, but yeah, so we're, we're doing these every once in a while where we kind of look at another uh, person's entire body of work, and uh, we thought we'd do Diane Keaton. We timed it out with um, the AFI tribute that recently aired which did you ever get to see that Meryl no I didn't because I'm I'm an idiot and didn't get my TiVo set I knew it was coming the day after and I remembered it and then of course forgot so I didn't get a TiVo I did watch I did watch parts of it on the AFI website they had several clips of the presenters and so I have I have seen some of the presenters I saw Meryl and and um, quite a few others I think yeah, uh, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, his, yeah. His was great. Um, Merrill's was great too. In fact, well, I'll probably use that as our outro today if I can find it on YouTube. Is just what she was saying about Diane. Um, this great. this particular one, I love these AFI shows. Um, I it's yeah. kind of, it's kind of like the Kennedy Center Honors thing for me, where like it's it's just so well produced, you know. And it's they managed mm-hmm. to get like really top notch talent there every time, um, so it was really yep. cool. You know they had they had some young folks, Emma Stone and Rachel McAdams and Reese Witherspoon, some kind of you know the the next generation, Sarah Silverman, uh, you know next generation kind of people. They had um, some of her peers like Meryl Streep. Um, Lisa Kudrow, I'm trying to think of who else was, uh, Jane Fonda. And then, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, a lot of these legendary guys too. So Al Pacino, Warren Beatty. And of course, the big surprise was Woody Allen, who doesn't do very many, um, you know, public events at all. And he kind of roasted her. It was unusual. Did you see that one? I didn't because I don't think they posted his on the on the website, so I didn't see his. You know, I don't know really how to talk about it. Uh, it was very. <laughs> he really treated it like it was a roast, and you know, everybody seemed to be enjoying it. Diane was laughing her self silly, and Meryl was too. Basically, there were you know, whenever they cut back to the people, everybody was rolling. But it was he was the only one who did that, who like roasted her. Everybody else was like you know, in awe of her, and then he came out and he just kind of. <laughs> Did the, something completely different. Um, I think because wow. we know what we know about Woody Allen. I don't know. I, I don't know. It was it was yeah, unusual. I have a tough time. I have a really tough time 
<laughs> I'm kind of glad I didn't see it. It probably would have just made me mad. Yeah, it was it was different. It was um, yeah, it was something. But there was there was a lot of re- it, oh, and I think I mentioned to you this mentioned this to you in a in a private conversation. But the thing that kind of got me about that whole thing, I know this is really petty and small, and like honestly, in the scheme of things, who cares? I I get all that. But um, Meryl Streep, Al Pacino, Warren Beatty, all these legendary actors and actresses are, are in this room. Jane Fonda, you know, all these amazing artists. Woody Allen was the only one who got a standing ovation, which seemed, besides Diane Keaton, of course, which seemed a little bit odd to me. Um, I get that everybody was really excited that he was there, and it's super rare that he makes a public appearance and all of that. But that, I didn't love that. Yeah. Well, especially when it's to honor somebody else. Right. You know, it makes it a little weird. It makes it a little weird and definitely pulls focus from that person. And I'm sure you're right. I'm sure it's because he makes so few public appearances and people were just excited he was there. But, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't sit quite right. But then again, I'm like the wrong person to ask <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to Woody Allen. I'm like, how dare you give him a standing ovation? Well, and see, Diane Keaton has, she, you know, a couple of years ago when he got the Cecil B. DeMille Award at the Golden Globes, it was Diane Keaton who accepted it for him, you know? Um, right. The thing that, that was uh, kind of funny, not funny, but like endearing is I remember that when she accepted the Cecil B. DeMille Award for, for uh, Woody Allen, she sang... Um, she sang a little bit of uh, make new friends, but keep the old. And she like sang it. And she, at her AFI thing, she sang a song too, like just acapella. And it was, you know, like she, she's not afraid to like, right. I remember that. It was really nice. Um, so I don't know when we're getting the Diane Keaton jazz album, but I'll buy a copy whenever that happens. (laughs) I would definitely buy that too. (laughs) So, um, yeah. When you look at Diane Keaton's, Entire body of work. Uh, what what jumps out at you? Do you have favorites? I know it's a hard question because there's a lot of good stuff. Yeah, I definitely have favorites, and they're they're not necessarily her heavy hitting stuff. I mean, I think she's brilliant. I was trying to think the first the first time I really remember seeing Diane Keaton in something. Um, and I mean, I knew I knew of her and her work, of course. I think the first time, though, I really like she came on my radar was the Father of the Bride movie, Father of the Bride movie. Sure. And so she's got she's got a special place in my heart from those films. And then my um, my one of my favorite films of all time actually is The Family Stone. Oh, okay. And. And her performance in that is so wonderful. Yeah. Because, you know, the mom in that, she's not necessarily likable. Diane Keaton makes her likable. But she's petty and and challenging and stubborn. And and Diane Keaton just does such a wonderful job owning that. Yeah. You know, she didn't sugarcoat it at all in the performance. and, And it was just so realistic because that's how people are sometimes you know like we just we get in our own ways and especially you know with our family and yeah so so those those are probably the biggest for me and then of course 
you know, her performance in the Godfather oh, yeah. films is amazing. And, um, yeah, how about you? Oh, so many. Um, I like what you I like what you did a minute ago, where you talked about the first time you became aware of her, and that was actually my first inclination too. Was that it? Probably was the Father of the Pride movies that I first saw. But I'm thinking it might have been Baby Boom uh, before the Father of the oh, Bride movies, yeah. because so that movie, brilliant. yeah, and that movie was pretty big in the '80s. Um, so I'm fairly certain I saw it in the '80s. I remember that in particular the scene where I think she decides that she's going to stick stick with this with this baby because she tries to give it up for adoption and then she tries to walk away and you know it's crying and she can't bear to hear the baby crying so she turns around and and goes back and like they they figure out how to okay you know I'll 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 stick with this a little bit longer kind of thing um so I think that's probably the first time I saw her. You know, The Godfather, a lot of the Woody Allen movies from the 70s, because we didn't know better, you know, Annie Hall, of course. Interiors I really love, and Manhattan, which we'll do on this podcast. Um, you know, there there are a few that she did. And then, you know, she reunited with him in the early 90s for Manhattan Murder Mystery, which is kind of fun, too. Um, I've been watching a lot of her... Um, kind of lesser known ones. So my perspective on some of these maybe early 80s ones that she did Mm -hmm. is interesting. She did one in in 1982 called Shoot the Moon with her her and Albert Finney. That's kind of a divorce drama. Um, It's a good performance. It's not an easy movie to watch, but... Um, she made, she made a couple in 1984, one called the little drummer girl and one called Mrs. Sofal. And that's with Mel Gibson. That's more of a period piece. Um, there's, Oh yeah. I wanted to see that one. I didn't get a chance to watch it. How is it? It's good. It's good. It's, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a period piece. So you have to kind of, for me, I always have to pay attention more in period pieces to kind of follow along with what's going on. But you know, it's, it's good. It's a good performance from her. I think she was maybe nominated for something for that, either Golden Globe or, or something. One of the ones that I wanted to uh, ask you about, because you have a connection to it, a strong connection to it, is Crimes of the Heart, a movie she made in 1986 oh, with Sissy Spacek and Jessica Lange. Cause, well, why don't you explain I, what your connection is? So I haven't seen it in years. Crimes of the Heart is is um, it's a film that was adapted from a play, and I can't even remember the playwright's name at the moment. Beth Henley. But um, it was who? Beth Henley. Thank you, Beth Henley. Sorry, Beth Henley. <laughs> <laughs> apologies, apologies, especially after I say what my connection is. <laughs> um, so um, at our at our college at Lawrence, we have to do senior projects, and several of us got together and did Crimes of the Heart. Crimes of the Heart for our senior project and, um, you know, in true college fashion. And I actually played Letty McGrath, uh, the same character Diane Keaton played in the film. And, and I, um, I didn't, I hadn't seen the film at the time we did the show and didn't want to watch it and then watched it after the fact. And, um, you know, of course she's wonderful in it. Yeah. Really wonderful in it. And I'm like, Oh, well, I ain't no Diane Keaton, but I had fun. Well, that's, <laughs> That's not true, but you know, um, this is another one that I rewatched for for this episode. I just watched it a couple nights ago, and um, it was interesting because as I was looking through, okay, so these are three of you know, three of my very favorite 
actresses. I mean, if you could throw Meryl in there, it, yeah. you know, I mean, like I, Sissy Spacek is probably my number two to, to Meryl. And Jessica Lange and Diane Keaton would be fighting it out for number three, probably. And, or And throw Glenn right. Close in there. And you, you got, I, I don't know, there's just too many of them, I think. But, um, but uh, you know, the thing that was really interesting to me in the reviews for this, because I, I, I looked at some reviews for Crimes of the Heart, and then it was a similar mm-hmm. thing 10 years later when she did First Wives Club, where it, she was paired with two other actresses, and the reviews kind of focused on, oh, they seem like they're having a good time, and this kind of condescending, like, wow, three women can actually get along kind of way, you know? <laughs> That's so annoying. <laughs> um but Crimes of the Heart got some really good reviews, especially for Sissy Spacek, actually, who who wound up getting a lot of... She was nominated for an Oscar, and I think she won a Golden Globe for it. And um, she she wound up... Sissy Spacek wound up getting most of the um, kind of favor from that movie, but all three of them are just yeah. really good in it. Oh, the, go- the character Diane plays is really the quieter of the sisters. Right. Um, it's, it's not a flashy part at all, for sure. It's... It reminded me very much of, again, another role she would do, you know, 10, 12 years later in Marvin's Room. It's a very similar role of, like you say, the kind of yes. less flashy sister. The, and, you know, the other characters are get maybe the, the better lines and get to be sassy or get to be, you know, really funny. And, and she's kind of the heart of the movie. Um, so um, it's... Yeah, it's, Absolutely. It's a great movie. It's really hard to find that one. It's actually really hard to find. She's she's directed a few movies. She did uh, a movie called Unstrung Heroes. Um, she directed Hanging Up, which she was also in. So the film she directed for TV with Reese Witherspoon called oh. Wildflower. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say that film made a massive impact on me. I was, what, I was nine and I remember watching it on TV, and I was completely mesmerized and blown away. And it, they would repeat it um, on TV all the time in the 90s. And if it was on, I would watch it. <laughs> Interesting. I haven't I seen that I love that movie. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I don't know what it was. I mean, probably if you look at it in the context of TV movies, it's just a TV movie. But... Um, um, Patricia Arquette's character, Reese Witherspoon, and um, is a, a farmer's daughter. Um, I think it's Bill Bridges. And they, you know, her mother died when she was young, but they're fairly well off. And they've got these neighbors that are just, just poverty-stricken. And Patricia Arquette is the daughter, and she's grown up in a cage. Like, oh. they've just kept her outside with the livestock, essentially, and she can't read, and she can't speak, and she gets out. And then Reese Witherspoon's got an older brother in it, too, and they befriend her and, like, start to teach her how to read and talk and just be around people. (laughs) It's really, it's actually a really lovely movie. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. I wonder if that one's hard to find. Um, I have no idea. I was so obsessed with it when I was young, though. And I don't know how it was pulled up now. Like, if I watched it, it would still be as good as it is in my head because I was nine. (laughs) Right. Yeah, those things tend not to hold up all that well. But maybe this one's an exception. Exactly. 
Um, and I had no idea Diane Keaton directed it. No clue. Yeah. No she, clue. She did a few. Yeah. She did Unstrung Heroes, which is another one. I think I saw that one because um, it features uh, Michael Richards from Seinfeld, who at the time I was, well, I still love Seinfeld, but, you know, Kramer, everybody wants to watch Kramer. I would have gone to see everything he was in. So he was in that. Although if I remember correctly, I think it's more of a serious role for him. I don't remember that one all that well. Um, and she directed yeah, Hanging. I didn't see it. Oh, okay. And she directed. Yeah. She directed one called Hanging Up, which she stars in with uh, Meg Ryan and Lisa Kudrow and Walter Matthau in one of his last roles. Um, that one didn't get very good reviews. It kind of, that movie I think was one that they were positioning to be kind of a bigger hit than it ended up ultimately being. Have you seen that one? Um, I did when it came out, and I gotta tell you, I don't remember a thing about it except that their sisters and Walter Matha was their dad, and you know, it's a family dynamic film. Right. That's all I remember. Yeah. It's fun. It's light for the most part. Um, yeah. I don't know. Did you, do you have much of a connection to First Wives Club? Um, I saw it and laughed. I, I mean, I thought it was really cute and, and very well done, and um, um, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. I think, you know, it came out in 1996, and I was a freshman in high school, and so I couldn't necessarily identify sure. with it or enjoy it as much as, you know, um, adults, but I remember enjoying it. I haven't rewatched it in years. Okay. Yeah, that's one of the ones I did... That's that's another one that I rewatched for this. That seems like another one that's kind of at this point a pretty iconic um, movie Very. for her. That was a that was the opposite of what I was just talking about with um, you know hanging up. Where that movie was positioned, I think, as a let's see how this does, and it was a massive hit. You know, like it was really really popular. And um, in fact, I noticed that that trio, so Diane Keaton, Goldie Hawn, and Bette Midler are reuniting to do a Netflix movie. Have you seen anything about this? Are they? They are. No, but that really excites me. They're doing a movie here. I want to pull it up so I get it correct. It's, It's still in development, it looks like, but it's called Divination. And, um... It's, it just has the three of them attached, but there are writers attached, which leads me to believe that it might actually happen. And it says, uh, three women from a popular singing group reunite 30 years after their nasty breakup. So. Awesome. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, it would be good to see them back. Uh, Diane Keaton and Goldie Hawn did do another movie together not long after First Wives Club a historic flop called Town and Country. Have you seen that one? Oh, I have not, but I know what it is. Yeah. Warren Beatty, um, Gary Shandling, Natasha Kinski, um, yeah, the, the, and the two of them, Goldie Hawn. And, oh, it has a terrible score on IMDb. <laughs> yeah, it's... It, it's hard to get a film below five on IMDb. Right, and then, if you scroll down a little bit, it's it's hard to look at the budget versus the gross because they spent ninety million dollars on it, and it made six million dollars. This was a oh. historically bad 
performing movie. Yeah. Um, So I'm not sure what went wrong. This is one of those movies that uh, I did watch mostly because I wanted to see how with that much talent involved, it could be that bad. Um, And I remember at the time, I haven't rewatched it, but I remember thinking, well, I don't think it's that bad. But I, you know, I mean, there was no way that anybody was going to, I wasn't going to be the one who suggested it was the greatest movie ever made, but I I was going to have a hard time figuring out how this was, you know, getting slammed as hard as it was. So um, maybe at some point I'll revisit it again and and report back. What about The Other Sister? Do you have connections to that movie? Uh, Yes. I really loved it when I saw it. I just thought it was really sweet. It's a very tender movie from from my memory of it, and I I enjoyed it. Um, you know, again, it was what 1999, so I don't I don't know if it holds up the same way in my mind. Did you revisit it? I did. Yeah, I revisited it. Um, and you know, she's she's good. It's a supporting turn. It's definitely a movie built around Juliette Lewis and Giovanni Ribisi. Um, right. But you know, it's a really solid performance. I think that's one of those roles that I feel two ways about. Actually, one is that. Part of me says, how did they manage to get somebody like Diane Keaton for what's kind of an impossible role in the sense that, like, it's not the focus of the... I mean, she's not the bad guy by any stretch, but she's the one who's trying to to limit her daughter who has some special needs. And, right. And trying to, you know, like, it, it, it's all out of love. It's, it's to shelter her and make sure that she's... Um, you know, not take it, taken advantage of in any way, but it's kind of a thankless role, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and she's, I would think at that point in her career, she would be past thankless roles, but... Um, she's made a career on thankless roles, though, if you think about it. That's like true. She's taken, she plays the mother figure in a lot of her films, or the maternal figure, um, even though she might necess- not necessarily be the mother. So, like in Marvin's room, um, it, you know, the more buttoned up, the more. And and oftentimes, her characters have have personality traits and and flaws that you know on paper are hard to read. You know, they're the more unlikable character, and she brings so much to them. I think she's really made a career on that. Sure. Finding the humanity in those kinds of characters. Sure. No, I agree with you. Um, I was just thinking, you know what movie we've never seen is Diane Keaton as the bad guy. Ever. I don't think. She would be amazing. You know she'd be amazing. It would be. I would love to see her as the bad guy. Um, okay. So, I love Diane Keaton. I feel like I'm on the record at this. But now you've got me thinking... <laughs> Have has the diversity of characters that she's played. I would say it's not nearly as diverse as the roles that Meryl or Glenn Close or Jessica Lange or even Sissy Spacek have played. Now, Sissy Spacek has never played the bad guy either, but I don't think the diversity right. is there um, in terms of the roles. And do you think, now this is all projection and this is all opinion. We're not stating anything here as fact, but... Do we think yep. that um, that has to do with where her comfort zone is and the kind of projects that she likes to associate with? Or do you think that those are just the roles that... She, was she basically taking the best roles that she was offered 
or some combination thereof? I think I think the I think the first. Okay. I think it's it's probably a bit of both, but my guess is it's her comfort zone because I, I mean she's a legend, and I think I I think she's probably been offered or read scripts that go far beyond that. You would um, think. Yeah, I, I would think. Um, and, and you know she's. She's ventured there a little bit, like, like her Morning Glory character is so funny. She's so stuck up and self-centered and and hilariously funny and amazing. Um, it's still in that romantic comedy genre, right? Uh, I'm curious to see the young Pope. Yes, I feel like that's very out of her comfort zone. You know, she's sort of just in the 2000s and uh, and maybe even the 2010s. You know, she's done Love the Coopers, The Big Wedding, Morning Glory, Mad Money, Because I Said So. I mean, a lot of these sort of family um, family-oriented or comedies where she plays, you know, sort of buttoned-up straight arrow or the mom character. Okay. Um, so I'd be curious to see the young Pope and see if she gets out of that. But yeah, I, 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 I'm guessing it's a choice, don't you? You know, yeah, probably. Um, like you say, I'm imagining that there is probably at some point somebody, I mean, given the, given the way that independent film has changed over the last few years, because that's really where she's been the last few years, um, that you know she's she made a movie last year called Hampstead with um Brendan Gleeson uh she made a movie called Five Flights Up a few years ago with Morgan Freeman one with Michael Douglas called And So It Goes one with Kevin Klein called Darling Companion these are all movies that I don't think probably came out in the theater you know they are at least wide release movies these were all smaller movies that were not intended to be blockbusters and so my point is that you know the 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 studios, I don't know if it's studios who make that or the production teams who make those kinds of movies maybe, um, make many other kinds of movies as well. And I'm sure Diane Keaton, like you say, was offered something by somebody at some point, you know, that would have would have taken her in a completely different direction. But um, yeah, it probably is to a certain degree her comfort zone. But I don't know. It would be really interesting to see her shake things up. You know, I think we, she's one of those people who kind of, everybody likes Diane Keaton. Like, I can't, she's, she's like, mm-hmm. she's like Willie Nelson or, or Lou Harris. We're like, you know, <laughs> on the music side, we're like, everybody likes Willie Nelson. Everybody does. You know what I yep. mean? Like, you'll never hear somebody say something bad about them. Now, Meryl had that going, I think, for a while. I think because she kind of has inserted herself and I'm all for it, into politics. Right. I think there are some people who really dislike her at this point. And there are, there was a little bit of that anyway, just because she was getting so much awards stuff that people were just kind of resentful towards her for it anyway. But somebody like Diane Keaton, um, everybody likes. Even Jessica Lang. Like, I love Jessica Lang, but there's a little bit of coldness about Jessica Lang. Um that I don't think yeah. is true. And I, I think it's intentional. You know, I think it's the way she uh, she prefers things to be. She doesn't, you know, you don't feel like you ever know anything about Jessica Lang as a person. But you'll see Diane Keaton getting drunk 
on Ellen or Jimmy Kimmel Live. You know what I mean? Like she's down right. to have a really good time where some of these, some some other actors and actresses and directors, you know, kind of play it a little closer to the vest. Um, so yeah, it would be interesting to see her shake it up just to see what happens, you know? Um, I don't know. I'm glad you brought up Morning Glory. That's another one that I revisited. And um, what's your opinion of that movie? Well, it's total fluff, but I love it. I mean, I just really, I just had a good time when I went to see it, when it came out. And I, I, um, I, I've watched it a couple times since, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, vegging on my couch. And um, I think her chemistry with um, Harrison Ford is quite good and quite funny. Yeah. The, so I rewatched that for, for this. And one of the things that I found was I liked the movie quite a bit more than I did the first time that I saw it. And I think part of it was um, uh, a couple of things. One, it's, it's written by the same person who wrote Devil Wears Prada, actually. Um, it's the same... Um, I wanna, I'm want i going to look that up and make sure I'm telling the truth, but I'm fairly certain. Because I, I think it says right across the DVD box, actually. Um, but, uh, let's see. Yep, that's right. Aline Brush McKenna is her name, the, the writer of it. Um, so, one of the things that struck me about the movie that I think disappointed me the first time that I saw it was... I think the marketing for it made it look like two anchors who were going to be like fighting the whole time, who were kind of at war with each other. And there is a little bit of that, but that doesn't happen until like an hour and 20, hour, 25 minutes into the movie. And that to me was about the funniest thing about the movie, you know? And it was something that like, I would love to see a movie in which Harrison Ford and Diane Keaton just like, mess with each other on air, you know, like live on the news. That to me is an amazing movie. And I feel like that's how this movie was marketed. And that's not what it was. Now, I still enjoyed it. um, But I think it was just one of those movies that was marketed in a weird way. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. But no, yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And, you know, it's amazing how much um, a trailer, the way the film is marketed, can really affect the way you view it. You could go in and see a really decent movie, but you were expecting something entirely different from the marketing campaign, and it really can ruin the experience for you. Right. It's surprising. Right. You know, um, we're, we skipped over what is a really big movie for her. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Something's Gotta Give. Anyhow? Well, no, oh, we... Sh- something's Gotta Give. We, yeah, it was... Oh, gosh, my parents love Something's Gotta Give. My mom will watch it anytime it's on television. I gotta tell you, it's my least favorite Diane Keaton performance. Is it really? Okay, now that's really interesting. It is. Why? And you know what it is? Is that, I mean, she's stunning in it, right? But she goes into this... I, it's totally a personal thing. I don't expect everybody else to share in this opinion. But she, when she gets really flirty with Jack Nicholson, I want to cringe and die. Oh, okay. Like, I, I find myself embarrassed for her as, as a character. 
like how giggly she gets. <laughs> and also, this movie offends me so badly because Jack Nicholson is so revolting. <laughs> and Keanu Reeves is this magnificent specimen. And they've written this entire story where she falls for the Jack Nicholson character. It just, it just drives me bonkers. Wow. It drives me bonkers. All right. <laughs> Shots fired. All right. We're, I can't wait. Yes. Oh, Sorry, I was, Jack. I was going to say I can't wait for uh, we, until we get to some of the ones he did with Meryl, but we already did one of them. We already did I, uh, Heartburn. Um, but anyway, well, that's that's interesting. Um, I, I can respect your opinion. I, it's been a while since I saw that movie. The thing that struck me about that movie was it was interesting because when I can't remember even who was talking about it the other at the AFI thing but I remember it being a huge deal when the movie came out that Diane Keaton did a full frontal nude scene in this movie um yeah and what struck me as uh, this movie had very little to do with that you know what I mean like that was such a small uh, element to this movie and that seems like such a strange now it wasn't like it i don't think people were being necessarily like lecherous about it i don't think it was in like a disgusting you know like tawdry kind of thing it was just like it was kind of shocking in the same way that like uh, i don't know a few years earlier kathy bates Itch. had done that in about schmidt also with jack nicholson yeah. actually i don't know there was a few instances of of that but i don't know that it, it bothered me that that's what people's focus about this movie was well there's this sense of taboo because of her age and right. it's just it's just so ridiculous um you know it's ridiculous and it's so i mean Truly, it's so funny. Yeah. That part of the film is so funny. And she's got brilliant comedic timing, and it was so perfect for it. And and she's a stunning woman. You know, so it should it should have been it should have been a non issue. I think I think that's a major problem in Hollywood that actresses, quote unquote, of a certain age, um or of a certain age, quote unquote, that's where that goes. <laughs> um um, you know, there's this big deal made when they have, you know, um, a, a romantic involvement with a character or have a new scene or show their chest or like, you know what, everybody, humans do it all the time, humans right. of all ages. That's the whole point of storytelling. I don't know why this is so weird for you. Right. Yeah. I think, I think part of it too is just that it was unexpected but in unexpected in a way that like it should have been I, I don't know that's one of those moments that it, it would have been so much better if that moment had been left unexpected for for all audiences to discover instead yeah. of like going in kind of going oh man this scene is going to be crazy kind of thing um so i don't right. know it, it is what it is so here's let's maybe take a, a momentary detour um if you're if you're cool with this, because one of the yeah. things that we do um, on the podcast in our normal episodes is we do a couple 
we do a couple different segments where we talk about, well, we tried to connect Meryl Streep to another film star by a game called Six Degrees of Meryl Streep. We're not going to, we're going to skip over that today and save that for next time. But um, one of the other ones that we do is a, a piece called Movies Meryl Was Almost In, where we talk about movies that she was attached to, but, but wasn't eventually in when they were released. And so I have a, I have a list here of some movies that Diane Keaton was up for. Um, and I wanted to know if any of these strike you as interesting in one way or another. Um, she was uh, replaced by Sally Field in a movie called Absence of Malice, which actually I watched not that long ago. I don't know if you've really? seen that movie. Yeah, it's with her and Paul Newman. That's a good movie. Yeah, that would have been a good one for her. Um, there's one here called Avon Ladies of the Amazon, and this was going to redeem her with uh, Bette Midler and Goldie Hawn. They were going to make another movie together right after um, First Wives Club about women who sell beauty projects in the jungle. That never got made. Oh. Yeah, that seems okay. like a strange premise to me. So I'm not, I'm not all that bummed <laughs> yes. that that one didn't get made. Um, <laughs> She turned down the lead role in a project called Bloodline um, that Audrey Hepburn oh. did. Now, I know the television show Bloodline, and this is something oh, else. This is something different. Yeah. And who, who starred in it? Audrey Hepburn. Really? It's Interesting. W- I've never even heard of it. That's what the internet is telling me. Um, here is a very interesting one, if you are familiar with it. Um, she turned down the Isabella Rossellini part in Blue Velvet. The David Lynch movie. Really? Yeah. Crazy. That one. That one's actually a big surprise. Yeah. Um, she also turned down uh, the lead role in Bugsy. That would have reunited her with Warren Beatty. Annette Benning did that movie. And in fact, I can't remember. Is that the one where Warren Beatty and um, Annette Benning became a couple? They did a few. Yeah. Um, was that the first one that they did? Didn't they do Love Story before? Yeah, but- before Bugsy? No, I think I think Bugsy was the one they met on. And okay. They did um, the love affair or whatever after that. Okay. Um, she turned down the the role of Francis in the movie Francis, which is a Jessica Lange uh, performance. That's a really iconic Jessica oh, yeah. Lange movie. About the film star, right? Yep. Uh, Francis, um, Francis Farmer. Oh, what's your last name? Francis Farmer. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, she was going to make, so Nicole Kidman made a movie called Fur, maybe 10 years or so ago. And, uh, earlier than that, Diane Keaton was going to do a biopic about this photographer, Diane Arbus. Um, and it just kind of stalled for a while. And then eventually Nicole Kidman did it. Um, we're spending a bunch of time here, so I'm going to read through a bunch and then I'll, I'll read through a bunch of titles and then you tell me if anything jumps out at you, maybe. Um, the heartbreak kid. Heaven's Gate, The Hunt for Red October, that's interesting, a little movie called Kramer vs. Kramer, um, oh. yeah, one called Man Trouble, which actually came up because that's another, that's a movie that Meryl Streep also turned down, uh, that co-starred Jack Nicholson, that's the one that Ellen Barkin uh, did, uh, she... Hi was almost in a Midsummer Night Sex comedy, which is a Woody Allen one. Uh, he eventually cast Mia Farrow in it instead, and then they began a relationship together. So I guess that was the first one that uh, Woody and Mia Farrow did. 
Um, a couple others here. Saturday Night Fever, she was almost in. She was almost in both incarnations of The Stepford Wives, the 1975 version, and then the remake that they did later on. Um, and then also, and lastly, Thelma and Louise. Oh, that one surprises me the most, I think. Really? So, let's well, see. Yeah, very out of character for her. But would have been awesome. She would have been great in it. Yeah. Let's see. Um, okay, so she would, yeah, she would have taken the, uh, the role that Susan Sarandon eventually played. So right. I'm not, it, it, you know, looking at that one, it looks like pretty much every actress was up for that. I mean, like the long list here of people includes Ann Archer, Kim Basinger, Sally Field, Helen Hunt, Diane Keaton, Jessica Lange. Bette Midler, Helen Mirren, Tatum O'Neill, Kathleen Quinlan, Vanessa Redgrave, Renee Russo, Meg Ryan, Sissy Spacek, Barbara Streisand, and Meg Tilly. So those were all, oh, wow. yeah, those were all people who were considered at some point or another for Thelma and Louise. Um, so who knows how far along she was in the process, but yeah. So any of those strike you as might have been kind of an interesting choice for for Diane Keaton to make, or or nothing strikes you as amazing? Well, I mean, her choice not to do them, just given her filmography, makes sense. Um, I think Selma and Louise would have been really interesting had she chosen to do it. Um, and also films like Come for Red October. She's never really gotten into the political thriller right. that I can recall. And I think I think she'd be phenomenal. I mean, she's just got so much power on screen. She could easily do something like that if she wanted to. Right. She also has never really gotten into biopics. She's never, right? She did one that I watched. It was a made-for-TV oh, movie. Man. Actually, she did two that I watched. Um, she did one called, um, it, well, actually, I don't know what it's called, Amelia Earhart... Uh, it was Amelia Earhart something. She played Amelia Earhart. Let me look it up the real quick. The Final Flight or the final something flight. like that? Yes, right? yes. Um, now, that was a made-for-TV movie, but she was playing a, a pretty literal uh, version of yeah. Amelia Earhart. I actually really liked that one. That Out of the ones that I watched that I was not familiar with, that one actually might have been my favorite. I, I really liked her performance a lot. Yeah, it's not easy to find, um, but if you can find it, I think it's worth it. Uh, Bruce Dern... Okay. Bruce Dern plays her uh, husband, but it really is, you know, it's, it's a movie about her. It's, you know, it's not weighed down by a lot of other stuff or other characters. It's really her. The other one that she did that I watched, it's also really hard to find another, this one is really, really hard to find. It's another made for TV movie called Sister Mary Explains It All. Um, she, She plays this Sister Mary Ignatius who, um, it's, it's kind of, I don't know if this is interesting to people who listen to this or not, but there was this woman, um, this nun named Sister Mary Ignatius, who who hosted a show on PBS uh, for a period of time. I'm not sure if she's still alive or if she's still hosting the show. It seems like she was like 100 years old back then, and that was like 20 years no, ago. No, I definitely don't think she's hosting now. I, re- I kind of remember that. Yeah. So she would, she, she was a nun, but her her uh, passion was art history and she was so knowledgeable. And so PBS gave her the show where she would like go to these different museums and, and like talk about these different paintings. And it was, it was funny what I was, what I was saying a minute ago where I don't know if this is, 
necessarily interesting to people. But um, so I I tour as a, as a singer songwriter, and one of the first people I ever played shows with, who I've played a lot of shows with over the years, um, is a woman named Sean Colvin, who's who's probably my favorite singer songwriter in the whole world. And she yeah. used to she used to have a bit about Sister Mary Ignatius in her show. Like, did she really? Yeah, back in the '90s. Like again, back when like the show was first on the air. So that's what I always think of. She used to tell this story about how funny it was to her when she would be channel flipping. It, it's kind of juvenile humor, but she she always found it funny that there was this nun, and she would she would do these. Um, like very clinical it was it was almost like she said like listening to dr ruth in a way because she she did all these like very old like nude paintings and so she would talk about you know different elements of of the nudity in these paintings which was just very striking because it was a nun talking about it and it just she had this long running bit about it so um that's what i always think of when i think of sister mary ignatius but um, that's an amazing point of reference yeah. So anyway, uh, so, she, so she did a TV movie about her. She did, and I own it on DVD. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm I might I might have to borrow that one. I know. I'm gonna have to send you a bunch of these because you know it'll be a while now before I revisit them. So I I'll, maybe I'll do that. I'll send you some of these so that you can watch them, and then just when you're done, send them back. Um, I also got the Young Pope the the first season of it or maybe it's the only season yeah. of it i i haven't been able to watch it yet i just got distracted by all the movies um so i didn't get a chance to start it but i'm i'm anxious to and actually it is the only season they're going to do a follow-up called the new pope it's going to be made by the same uh crew it sounds like and same production company but yeah. But Jude Law, I don't think, is part of it. And I, I'm guessing Diane Keaton won't be either. I don't know anything about it because I haven't watched it yet. But um, Right. I watched one other, well, two other ones. Well, you know, did you, do you feel like you got to talk about uh, Annie Hall? Did you have more to say about Annie Hall? You know, I don't. You don't have more to say? I, I tried to watch it. I tried to watch it years ago, right? And um, I am so... I Let me preface this by apologizing to all Annie Hall and, and Woody Allen fans out there and potentially plug your ears because years ago I tried to watch it mainly because of the hype. Sure. And I couldn't do it. I had to turn it off. And I, so I revisited it this time for Diane Keaton. I, I plowed through it. She is magnificent. I can see why it's iconic. She's wonderful. But I tell you, it took every ounce of self-control not to turn it off again because I find Woody Allen so obnoxious. Interesting. I cannot stand the guy. And I've tried. It's just because, I, you know, oh, my parents weren't fans. I didn't, I didn't grow up watching those films, you know, especially as iconic films from the 70s. I got introduced to him later with movies like Match Point and Cassandra's Dream and, um, um, and then, you know, what's the Moonlight movie? Midnight in Paris? Anyway. Yes. No, not Midnight in Paris, although I did see that. There's Magic in the Moonlight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. He's, he just did a string of films where I have absolutely abhorred his portrayal of women and romance and their relationship with terrible men. And, um, and so I don't, I just, I can't. 
And, you know, given his history, if you go back and watch Annie Hall and he makes jokes about the sexuality of six-year-olds and it just doesn't land. Ooh. It does not land the way it's supposed to land and you just get to heap babies and, uh, yeah. That's rough. I don't remember that. Yeah, it's rough. Huh, that's yeah. too bad. That's too bad. Um, did you ever see any of the other, you know, like 70s movies that you're kind of referencing that, that she was a part of? Interiors or um, what else was she in? Well, Manhattan, of course. Uh, Sleeper, that's kind of an interesting one. Or Play It Again, Sam or Love and Death. She made a whole string of movies with him. I really, no, I never saw any of them. And I haven't watched Manhattan yet. I'm saving it for our, our Merrill episode. Um, I, you know, I did see some of her work from the 70s, just not her Woody Allen work. Okay. Um, any final thoughts on the Diane Keaton episode? Anything else you want to get in there? Um, no, I don't think so. She's fantastic, of course. Yeah, she's great. So, uh, what's our next? What's our next episode? What are we doing? Is are we going back to? Oh, we're doing the Homesman next, right? Yes. Thank you for reminding me because yep. I forgot. <laughs> All right. So everybody, next time we'll be back and we're going to do uh, the Homesman, which we kind of mentioned briefly in the end of our our last episode, and we look forward to it. We'll do all our regular uh, segments in that episode and. We look forward to it, and um, I think we can leave it there for today. What do you think, Beryl? I think that's good. Sounds good. Okay, well, thank you, everybody, and we'll see you again soon. Bye, everybody. That's all. Ladies and gentlemen, the recipient of the 2004 AFI Life Achievement Award, Meryl Streep. Hi, Diane. When I was a little girl in New Jersey, my mother would load my brothers and me into the car and drive us into New York and go to the Museum of Natural History. And we would race up the steps to the human body exhibit because they had a transparent woman in there. They had this giant, lucite, naked lady in the middle of the room and you could see everything. She was see-through, and she stood with her hands outstretched, covering nothing. You could see her guts, and her heart, and her brain, and she was breathtaking. Diane Keaton, arguably the most covered-up person in the history of clothes, <laughs> is also a transparent woman. There's nobody who stands more exposed, more undefended, and just willing to show herself inside and out than Diane. I fell for her pretty much the same time everybody did with Annie Hall, because she had the stream of consciousness of a hummingbird. She's here, and then she's there, and then she's up there, and then where is she? And. Um, She's just so hard to capture, you know. She's in flight. When she lights down, she just, she stops your heart. She's given us all so much happiness. Love, you wrote this in your book, all love is a job. It's a great job. It's the best job. So I thank your mother, because she brought us you 
can't imagine the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s without you. Love you, Diane. So does everybody. <laughs>